really thought I was going to get through that. I don't know uh, why you did. Another... Have, I, have I disappointed you in some way that you don't think I'm going to do what I always do? Mm. Uh, I am Joe Patrice. Uh, this is Thinking Like a Lawyer. That's Catherine Rubino. We are from Above the Law. We talk about the, you know, the cool legal stories of the week, and we have a bunch to talk about. But since we are not uh, with my soundboard. Uh, we will not have a sound effect here. So uh, let's begin as we usually do with our small talk. Bump, small bump, talk. Bump, bump. Yeah, right, did so, something. Uh, we had to recognize that it was in fact small talk. It is. It is. It is small talk. And uh, what, what's your, what's the smallest of talk you have? <laughs> um, I spent some time with family this weekend um, as one does when one spends time with smaller children, got um, pretty sick as a result. <laughs> oh, yeah, that you know terrible. they're little germ factories. They're delightful, but you know, filthy. <laughs> yeah, no, I hear you. So I had a twenty-four um, hour stomach bug, which I don't think I've had since I was since I was a child. <laughs> Wasn't a so good you time. were sick. You were sick, and it was their fault. So obviously, um, that's good to know. Both of us, uh, because listeners know this, uh, both of us do debate stuff. We're at a college debate tournament, uh, which is why our sound may not be as good as it usually is. Certainly why we don't uh, have a sound board. <laughs> mm-hmm. But we're in lovely Houston, Texas for that. And uh, yeah. yeah, the University of Houston is hosting the Cross-Examination Debate Association's National Championship. Um, woo-hoo! woo-hoo. <laughs> so, uh we are here to see the results of the final college policy debate tournament of the year. See yeah. who takes home the championship. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, uh, with all that said, uh, we can move back to uh, back to regular business and just charge through because we have some fairly significant news stories of the last week. Do so we? We'll That's end. <laughs> We'll end small talk there. Well, let's move to those big news stories. You have been covering Clarence Thomas for several years. What's up with that guy these yeah, days? Yeah, it's, it's, and I think, I think this definitely plays into the overall story, um, which is that it's not just that I've covered Clarence Thomas for a number of years, it's that I've covered Clarence Thomas's ethical lapses for a number of years. <laughs> Right. And there are more. Um, ProPublica put out a pretty detailed investigative report last week uh, detailing um, very, very lavish trips that uh, Clarence Thomas participated in um, without reporting them from getting these free trips from billionaire GOP mega donor uh, Harlan Crow. And, um, you know, not reporting them on any disclosure forms, no recusals for any cases. Um, you know, some of, some of the allegations are, you know, just, wow, you know, like Harlan Crow donated to charities that then turned around and paid Ginny Thomas Clarence's wife a salary to participate, to, you know, do her political advocacy. Another topic I've written a lot of words about, um, <laughs> Even though the Supreme Court does not really have ethical rules, because why would they? Um, rules there are, are there are no rules, right? There, there are 
legal issues with government officials uh, above and beyond uh, Article 3 necessarily. And uh, yeah, this is uh, very much in breach of all of the implied understandings and requirements. He has claimed that he didn't need to disclose any of this because he's been friends with this guy for 25 years. He's been a Supreme Court justice for longer than that. Yeah, he's he's been a justice for longer than that. So the 25 years was not the flex that he thought it was going to (laughs) be. Nonetheless, uh, so yeah, he was taking, you know, half million dollar vacations on uh, somebody else's dime. Not cool. That said, this is not new. Uh, Obviously, Scalia was doing the same stuff, which is how we learned that he died because he was on a litigant fund funded vacation when when he died so yeah i mean that ethical was, lapses continue yeah i think that that connection to scalia's death was certainly something that was apparent to a lot of us when it first happened um because you know oh thomas takes these lavish vacations by a gop donor i'm like yeah yeah, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure a lot of them do. <laughs> I, it feels yeah. A lot good. of a lot of the folks were very surprised by this, and we were not, uh, having been down this road for several years. Uh, but yeah, the media is very shocked. There's some conversation about impeachment that will not, in fact, go anywhere, but it is a conversation at least. Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's kind of interesting. Um, there are two reasons, um, obviously, why they will never, there will not be an impeachment of Clarence Thomas. The first is that um, the Democrats do not tr- control the House of Representatives, so there will never be a vote <laughs> on on Clarence Thomas's impeachment. Um, Kevin McCarthy will never let it get that far. So, you know, great. You know, that's that's just true. But even if the, um, the even if the Democrats were in charge of the House, there are not 67 votes to vote for impeachment. So even if that were true, He's, his job, he's, his lifetime tenure is, in fact, secure. Yeah. Uh, the, yeah, but, uh, well, Ellie Mistal, who previously the host of this show, uh, it said some stuff over the weekend on the tweeters uh, about how they should, you know, at least try to impeach him. And uh, I, I more or less agreed that like, this is kind of a no-risk situation for Democrats is – say we want to impeach him, uh, it won't go anywhere. So they don't have to drag themselves through a trial, but, you know, they can, they can sit on it, uh, that, you know, the people deciding what the law in this country are probably shouldn't be taking six figures from, uh, undisclosed, undisclosed, undisclosed. Um, and, and I think that, uh, that it's interesting. Some of the um, anonymous information that we've got that folks have been reporting about why not every Democrat says that they would theoretically, again, it's not coming to a vote anytime soon, but <laughs> they would not theoretically support uh, an impeachment is because, you know, the support for the Supreme Court is currently so low, we wouldn't want to do something that would drag it down further. And I think that that, that framing of the issue fundamentally misses the boat. I think mm-hmm. I think that hearing about these lavish trips that he gets that are undisclosed, unreported. I think that that has far more damage to the credibility of the court than, you know, getting rid of somebody who refuses to disclose these mega donors in their lives. I think that it really misses the boat. And, you know, we've been talking about since since the Dobbs decision happened, we've been talking about the cratering support for the Supreme Court, the legitimacy problems, the ways in which it's it's not just one issue. It's the 
lack of respect for precedent, undoing 50 years of reproductive freedom, the shadow docket, (laughs) and ethics issues that are all kind of coming to a head right now. And I would be utterly unsurprised to find out that this has another, this is another, you know, hit to the credibility and favorability of the Supreme Court uh, for the American public. I think the other mm-hmm. thing that was interesting was, I know you had, you had some thoughts online about the justification that <laughs> Clarence Thomas, he did make a statement um, about the report uh, saying that he uh, was advised by people <laughs> um, on just who, 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 who? We don't know. No, no, no one will tell us saying that he did not need to disclose these lavish gifts and and the secrecy with which he continues to to deal with this issue, I think, is just another way in which the credibility of the court is further eroded. Because even when caught with his pants, you know, with his pants down about these trips, still hides information. His default position is to is to you know, use subterfuge to get out of it because he has a lifetime and appointment and there's not 67 senators who will do anything about it. So that's how many you need. You're not going to get them. So I don't really care is the overall attitude that I think his statement gives. And I don't think that, I don't think it's a great look. Yeah. Calidus AI cleverly supports you by suggesting relevant law to address your complex issues. Put in simple questions or longer fact patterns, then Calidus asks you to confirm if points are salient before proceeding. Use Calidus to check if you found all the key concepts, cases, and statutes. Calidus turns that into a high-quality, customer-ready document. Handle complexity confidently with Legal's most advanced AI platform. Get $90 off your first two months. Use promo code Joe at CalidusAI.com. That's C-A-L-L-I-D-U-S-A-I.com. Hey, Guy, what's up? Just having some lunch, Conrad. Hey, Guy, do you see that billboard out there? Oh, you mean that guy out there in the gray suit? Yeah, the gray suit guy. Order up. There's uh, all those beautiful, rich, leather-bound books in the background. That is exactly the one. That's J.D. McGuffin at Law. He'll fight for you! I bet you he has got so many years of experience. Like decades and decades. And I bet, Guy, I bet he even went to a law school. Are you a lawyer? Do you suffer from dull marketing and a lack of positioning in a crowded legal marketplace? Sit down with Guy and Conrad for Lunch Hour Legal Marketing on the Legal Talk Network. Available wherever podcasts are found. Okay, we have uh, another topic uh, similarly politically charged. Uh, There was an indictment of Trump recently, and he, you know, was advised kind of casually by the judge to, you know, not commit contempt. uh, And what did he do immediately after that? Uh, (laughs) He went on social media and started ranting about the judge and the judge's family. You know, honestly, I I don't think these charges are particularly great uh i think they're right and obviously the 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 charges that we're talking about are uh, record keeping uh business record charges dating back you know a long way seemingly the theory is that it was criminal in nature and the hiding of it was ongoing and trump being in dc meant he was not in the jurisdiction for them to even investigate it until now uh there's not a lot of it's not a great legal uh Theory. That said, I 
think it's actually almost crazier, crazy like a fox because uh, you just needed to charge him with something and then he was going to, you know, commit criminal contempt. <laughs> <laughs> that is not time barred. Uh, yeah, so, he, so what exactly was he threatening? Yeah, so Judge Juan Merchant had had said, you know, don't use social media to incite violence. Uh, and then he turned around and started making comments about about Judge Merchant, who uh, had previously sat on other cases or presided over other cases that the Trump organization was implicated in, uh, as well as the judge's daughter, who uh, I believe worked for uh, the Biden campaign at one point and, you know, made these statements immediately after <laughs> I think it's six hours uh, after um, being told not to and also about the judge's wife. And, you know, it's not just a bad look for, you know, people on the left are seeing it. But even Fox News, Steve Ducey, one of their um, morning anchors, uh, went on record saying that it was a very bad look to attack the family of the judge um, because she, you know, yeah, (laughs) this is this is how bad it is. Right. It's it's not just. It's not just people uh, to the left of the political spectrum. This is this is the right wing as well saying, hey, 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 maybe we don't maybe we don't try to incite violence against a judge and their family. It, it speaks to the complete lack of control the attorneys seem to have over him because this is this is an easy one. There are cases percolating or surrounding Trump that are actually problematic criminal cases for him, but this one is one of the weaker ones. Uh, he probably could have just kept his mouth shut and it would go away uh, when they moved to dismiss all of this eventually. And then he didn't. And it, it's, it, you know, he's not got bad lawyers. You know, like- In, Indeed, he just got- Nichols. He just got uh, yeah. Todd Blanche, uh, formerly of Cadwallader, le- left the partnership at Cadwallader to defend Donald Trump in this particular case. And, you know, I think it really highlights the uphill battle that Blanche has. <laughs> Frankly, I think having Susan Necklace on the on the team is actually more important, not to diss Blanche or anything. But like, th- that's like, I, I having run in those circles, I kind of view... Uh, her as the superstar on that team. And yeah, just no control. Like, not, you know, like all you need to do is not invite contempt. Uh, and he ran right out and did it. Uh, that is, uh, yeah, they, they got no control over their client. Yeah, and, and frankly, I think this is an incredibly predictable conundrum that his legal team finds themselves in. Uh, Bill Barr went on TV saying um, of Blanche, because again, Blanche is the one who left the partnership specifically for this, you know, a big law partnership for this engagement. So I think there's a lot of focus on that choice. Uh, (laughs) And Bill's like, Bill Barr's like, he's going to regret it. This is not, this is not somebody you can reason with. This is somebody who is known for not paying his lawyers. This is someone who invites contempt. This is someone who isn't going to listen to you. It's, it's, it's a, it's a job, you know? (laughs) But it is interesting, and you know, we've had recently this conversation about contempt, civil and criminal, and the distinctions between them, and yada yada. Uh, but yeah, if Judge Mershon, Justice, Justice Mershon wants to wants to refer this to the DA. Uh, one would assume the DA would uh, would take it up gladly to add to the claims they've already brought. But alas, and we are back. Let's. Uh, you, you know, you worked in big law. I did. I did. So did you, yeah. as it turns out. Uh, it's funny. I did. I did. I did. <laughs> yeah. No. Uh, how are the hours? Terrible. 
one of the one of my enduring memories of that sort of era of my life was not being able to go out with my friends until midnight or later. And there was a restaurant we like to go to for, for sort of drinks and whatever and calling the restaurant to find out their specials of the night call. And then texting my friends like, Hey, put in this order before the kitchen closes, taking one, the car service (laughs) that my firm provided to the bar, (laughs) you know, going out, having, you know, whatever specials until, until the bar closed at at two or probably, probably later going home, sleeping for a few hours, turning around, going back to work and doing the same thing the following night when I would get out maybe at midnight. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but at least you're getting out at midnight, not, not working 24 seven. So that's good. Yeah. This is all set up. Paul Hastings, apparently for reasons that boggle minds, turned over to a senior associate the job of teaching junior associates best practices and uh, put out a slide saying that uh, you are of you are online twenty four seven, no exceptions, no excuses. So uh, the hours have have escalated apparently. Yeah, I mean, a couple of things about that line. First of all, where is the partnership, right? Okay, you, yes, right. I, I see, you know, yes, say to a senior associate, you're going to give this presentation, here's where, you know, this is the parameters, go for it, let them do it. But you don't, you don't thumb through the slides before they give the presentation to all of the junior associates. That seems wild to me to not even like, want to see what your letterhead is going out on, like just, just thumb through. And this 24 seven language is pretty obvious right from jump. Partnership has said that they are aghast by what happened is what they're putting out there. So, you know, good for them on the back end. And, 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 you know, maybe, maybe they are me. I don't want to, I don't want to necessarily doubt uh, what the folks are saying now and that's fine and fair, but to be clear, it, you, you're only aghast because it, because it's news now, because that slideshow leaked out, right? And there, who knows how much of this advice the senior associate had already been giving out for how many years uh, and how mm-hmm. they probably learned it from senior associates ahead of them, right? This is not something that one person brings to a firm, especially someone who's still an associate. They don't bring this attitude to the firm. They don't know what firm life is like. They learn it by being at the firm, Right. Yes. This is inherited. A, a culture isn't overnight. Yeah. 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 And, and this is thing. obviously part of the culture, even though management perhaps wishes it weren't. And this is something, you know, we've talked about a lot where often, you know, sometimes, you know, I speak to managing partners of big law firms and, and you know, they have these lofty ideals of what their lofty, firm is really. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, you know, Uh, but but they have these ideas of what their firm should be like or what it really is like. But I was like, how do you know? How do you know what it's like to be a third year associate at your law firm? How do you make sure that the ideals that you say management has actually trickles down? Big laws, lots of fiefdoms. If you're the partner or group that you work for are a bunch of 24-7, you know, work, terrible kind of atmosphere people, how do you prevent that from happening? Why do you care if they're still billing hours? Like, how are you monitoring what's actually, what life is actually like for folks? My takeaway from it was more, I thought that the 24-7 might have been the least stupid thing in that slide. (laughs) There were way worse bits of advice. Like, the custom, the client is always right, and I'm like, no, they aren't. They're usually wrong. That's why they've hired. <laughs> that's why. That's why they have lawyers, actually. <laughs> yeah, 
you do not want to fall into the Elon Musk trap of saying, you know what, let's waive due diligence to get this deal done, and then stupidly law firms agreeing to that. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, no, is you, it stupid, though, because they still got paid, right? <laughs> they, I guess they got paid. Yeah, but the client isn't always right. You do need to exercise professional judgment. And yeah, the junior may not be the one doing that, but understand that your answer is not that the client is right. Your answer is, I will communicate that to the partner and the partner will tell me what to do. Uh, because that's where the judgment is. That's why the client has hired somebody. And that's how as a junior associate or even a senior associate, you start to learn how to exercise legal judgment and the right way to finesse clients. That is not an innate innate skill that someone is born with, how to, you know, get clients on your side. That's something you have to watch happen. You have to see. And if you're, you know, if you're just assuming the client is always right from the time you're being told that that's the way it is as a junior associate, how are you ever going to develop that skill? Yeah. I mean, the... They they want counsel, and so if you are not providing them judgment, you're just rubber stamping things. That is not the skill that they want paid. Uh, that said, there was another issue, which is that the senior associate told the juniors, one, to recognize that they cost a lot of money per hour and to be efficient and care about the client on that, which, you know, Great, actually, whatever. actually good advice. Fair, fair enough. But also, never ask a question of a senior, always have an answer I don't know is, an, is not an acceptable answer, Yay. which it absolutely is. Uh, because if you don't know, don't make it up. That seems like a bad idea. Yeah, uh, like, like also, what is that encouraging? Like just going to chat GPT and being like, what's the answer? Yeah. <laughs> and that, that is how you it get also, these hallucinations that AI is known for. Yeah, the slide even says that as a very last resort, ask one of your classmates. And I'm like, no, ask you, the senior associate. <laughs> you don't necessarily go to the partner with it, but it's your job. It just seemed like the senior associate was trying to avoid any and all responsibility here, which, you know, good try. Uh, but no, <laughs> that is your job as a senior associate. I, like, really egregious, I felt. Uh, it's because not knowing the answer and caring about what do the client pays, you don't want a situation where the client is paying for you to spend 45 minutes on Google asking a question that you could just call the senior and get an answer from. Right, so th that advice appears to be in conflict with their early advice about being efficient. Yeah, I, like, look, I was a junior and ultimately a mid-level and see, like all of, those, all of those tasks. And your job at the senior level is to be that contact person who answers those questions. And that is what you do. And yeah, it does cost the client a little bit more for you to bill your 0.1 uh, at a higher rate, but it's for efficiency's sake. And it makes sure that the juniors are getting their job done faster. And that's, that's your role. And you should not be trying to pawn that off on the juniors to just search Google, whatever. Like the, the slide has language like, use Google or Lexus or whatever, like lists a bunch of things that they want this young lawyer to ask before, you know, bothering the delicate genius that is a mid-level associate. <laughs> yeah. I think it is important though that this got out and I'm certainly glad that we all know about it now because I sometimes think that folks outside of big law think that we're exaggerating when we talk about big law and seeing the actual the actual documents that come from it. It's like, no, this is what they decided to write down. Yeah. <laughs> this is somebody, somebody with a law degree decided to end a high-paying, high-powered job, decided to sit down and put this language 
to paper. Yeah. So you can only imagine what's actually going on in sort of the lives of folks at these firms. <laughs> All right. Anything else on that topic? No? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, big loss still sucks, you guys. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Breaking Good news. Good luck to everyone out there. <laughs> All right. Well, we can wrap up a little early uh, and get back to our administrative tasks on this end. With that said, you should subscribe to the show if you haven't already. That way you get the new episodes when they come out. You should give us reviews, stars, write things. Always helps. You should be reading above the law so you hear this story, these stories and others before we have an opportunity to chat about them. You should be listening to the Jabot, Catherine's other podcast, or the Legal Tech Week. Oh, man. So close. Week. Journalist Roundtable. Yeah. Uh, which I'm a guest on, uh, or <laughs> any of the shows on the Legal Talk Network. You should be following us on social media. The website is on Twitter at ATL blog. Catherine's at Catherine One, which is a numeral one, not the word written out. So there's that. Uh, I'm at Joseph Patrice. We have blue check marks still, as far as I can tell, but whatever. Um, at the moment, we did not pay for apparently that. Apparently, I will say that. We did not. Yeah, we did not. No. Yeah, no, we we intended to not have them, but apparently, uh, who knows? No, I think that's everything. Read stuff, yeah. Yeah, Um, check us out. We will chat with folks later. Peace. If you're a lawyer running a solo or small firm and you're looking for other lawyers to talk through issues you're currently facing in your practice, join the Unbillable Hours Community Roundtable, a free virtual event on the third Thursday of every month. Lawyers from all over the country come together and meet with me, lawyer and law firm management consultant Christopher T. Anderson, to discuss best practices on topics such as marketing, client acquisition, hiring and firing, and time management. The conversation is free to join, but requires a simple reservation. The link to RSVP can be found on the unbillable hour page at LegalTalkNetwork.com. We'll see you there.